This week, instead of talking about the Parsha, which of course is Parsha Midbar, so much we could talk about, but I think Shavuos is coming up this week, so they tell me, or I feel like I'm really in busy season. I keep saying to my husband, I'm planning Shavuos for Neely, and I'm planning Shavuos for our community, and I'm so nervous that I'm going to send the speakers in Chicago, the addresses in New Jersey, and the speakers in New Jersey, the times for Chicago, and everybody's going to end up in the wrong place. But Baruch Hashem, I think we have it all sorted out, and I think everyone knows where they're going. So first of all, keep your eyes and ears open for information about Shirim coming up over Yom Tif. But the reason I really wanted to focus on Shavuos today is because I think on Pesach, we're very lucky. We get, in America, we get two full Siddharim to discuss topics of Pesach. We discuss the Haggadah, we really delve into it. We're really able to delve into all the texts of the holiday. But I think with a lot of the other holidays, the texts sort of get overlooked because there's so much going on, especially most of the Megillot. I think Megillot Esther really gets its time. But other than that, I think the Megillot generally get overlooked. That especially like Kohelet, Shira Shirim, the ones that are read on much bigger holidays, like nobody really has the time to sit down and delve into Kohelet before Sukkot because we're doing something called Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur before we delve into Sukkot. So we have a little bit to be doing. But Megillah Rut, I think, even though there are not so many mitzvot of Shavuot, so we would think it maybe gets more time, there's just no time. And it really does not get delved into. And there is so much jam-packed into Megillah Rut that I thought we at least had to focus on it today. So what I want to do is I want to focus on one of the characters in Megillah Rut that I think we can learn so much from. He is not one of the main characters. Most of the characters, pretty much all of the characters, besides for one, we meet in the very first Pasuk of Megillat Rut, that we learn about Ali Melech, Rut, and their two children. So there is this Gvir, this important person named Ali Melech. He is married to a woman, woman named um, Naomi. And they, sorry, I said Rut to begin with. I know, I'm sorry. I get them confused. <laughs> he has his wife, Naomi. And then they have two children, Mahlon and Kilion. Mahlon and Kilion marry two, the, Elimelech, Naomi, and their two sons, when there is a famine in the land of Israel, they pick themselves up and they move to stay Moab, to the fields of Moab. And there, the two sons, Machlon and Kilion, marry Rut and Orpah. They marry these two Moabi princesses, and there they settle, it says, for close to 10 years. There, Elimelech passes away, Machlon and Kilion all pass away. So by the middle of the first parak, we are left with, from our original characters, the only people we are left with are Naomi, Rut, and Orpa. I'm just summarizing the beginning of the story to make sure we're all in the same place. It is at that point, once Naomi has lost her entire family, aside from her daughter-in-law, she says to them, I am going to pick up. I am going to return to Eretz Yisrael. She hears that the famine has, has ended in Eretz Yisrael. So she says, I'm going to pick myself up and we are going to go back to Israel. He she tells her daughter-in-laws, you stay here. I have nothing for you. Even if I have another child, it's not like you're going to marry that child. The child's going to be so little. You're going to have to wait so long. You stay here. You go back, restart your lives. You have no connection to me. I will go back to our sister L. This conversation goes on for a little while. Orpa eventually does back down and Orpa returns to her home. While Rut says, Nami, I am with you. I am sticking with you. Wherever you go, I will go. Your God is my God. This is our first conversion story in which Rut decides to join Nami and essentially join the Jewish people. So they return to Eretz Yisrael and there they have absolutely nothing. As two 
single women, they have no way to support themselves. In this sort of culture, there is just no, nothing for a single woman to do in order to support herself. So they are starving. And Rut says to Nami, is there something I can do? Like, we have no food. We have nothing to our names. Like, is there some way I can help? And Nami says, oh, yeah, you can go to a field. In the field, there's these rules of shechacha and paya and leket that the farmers have to leave behind certain sheaves of wheat and certain produce. You can go and you can collect those left behind sheaves of wheat. Anything that you're able to find, that's what you can go do. So Rook goes out to the field. And we have in Rut Parak that Pasuk Aleph. Ulana Ami Modala Isha Ish Gibor Chayel Mi Mishpachat Elimelech Ushmo Boaz. Naami had a relative, and Naami's relative was named Boaz. He was from the family of Elimelech, and he was a good man. He was a man of substance, says the Pasuk. Rut, of course, says as it would be, Rut finds Boaz's field. Boaz takes a liking to Rut in that he notices that she's, the, the Mepharshim say she is collecting in a sneeze way, but he noticed there was something nice about her, and he told his men to be kind to her, to take care of her, to make sure she had what she needed. But we're going to get that into that in a minute. But first we have this passage. There was this great man, and his name was Boaz, and he was related to Naomi. Rashi says here, who was Boaz? What is a moda? A moda is a karov. It is someone who is a close relative. Ben Achiv shel Elimelech He was Naomi's nephew via Elimelech. That this was Elimelech's nephew, Elimelech's brother's son. Our rabbis tell us, Elimelech v'shalmon avi Boaz uploni almoni hagoel ve'avi Naomi kulam b'nei nachshon ben Ami nadav hayu. So now we are getting a little bit of family history because when it came to Elimelech, we didn't really get any information about him. In the first Pasuk, we just hear that he is an Ish. Me, um, we have an Ish that goes to Stamov. We at first don't even hear his name. And once we hear his name, we don't really hear anything else about him. So here we are receiving a little bit more background from Rashi. So Rashi says there were four brothers. There was Elimelech. There was Shalmon. Shalmon was the father of Boaz. We have Ploni Almoni. Ploni Almoni is going to be who is going to become known as the Goel, the one who is the Redeemer. And the Avi Naami and Naami's father, they were all brothers. So Naami had married her cousin, who was Elimelech, and they had a nephew whose name was Boaz. Who were they all the children of? They were all the children of Nachshon ben Aminadav. So it says, oh, they're, they're of such great descendants. They have such a great forefather, Nachshon ben Aminadav. We're going to talk about Nachshon in a minute. But they have such great schos avos. Why did they all die when they left Eretz Yisrael? And Rashi tells us because once they left Eretz Yisrael, their schos avos, the, the merits from their fathers, was not enough to save them. Once they did such a grave sin of leaving Eretz Yisrael, their schos avot, their um any of their merits were not enough. This is fascinating. This is not something that we can just skim over. The fact that they were the children of Nachshon ben Aminadav. Who is Nachshon ben Aminadav? Nachshon ben Aminadav, we hear of him first in Gamidbar Parak. Um, sorry, we hear of him in the text in Gamidbar Parak Bet. We hear of him in the Mefarshim before that. 
So about Midbar Parakbet, it says, Vachunim Kadma Mizracha Degel Machana Yehuda. So it's one we are learning in this week's parsha. So when we are learning about where each of the families camped, and it says, Vachunim Kadma Mizracha Degel Machana Yehuda Litzivotam Benasila Be Yehuda Nachshon Benaminadav. So it's telling us where Shevet Yehuda camped, and it says, Who is the Nasi of Shevet Yehuda? It is Nachshon Ben Aminadav. But where did we hear about him before? Who is this guy, Nachshon? We heard him about him in Shemot Parakadalid. Vayomer Hashem al Moshe Matzatakilai Daber al Bnei Yisrael veYisayu. Bnei Yisrael are standing at the banks of the Yamsuf. The Mitzrim are behind them, and Bnei Yisrael are terrified. They are screaming out to Hashem, "Why did you take us here? There was enough graves in Egypt. Maybe there wasn't. That's why you took us here. Why are you killing us here in the desert?" Of course, their usual complaint. And Hashem says to them, "Why are you screaming out to me?" Um, uh, he says to Moshe, Moshe, why are you screaming out to me? Speak to B'nai Israel and travel. You should raise up your staff. You should stretch out your hands over the, over the sea. You should stretch out your hand and the sea will split and B'nai Israel will be able to walk through on dry land. So when they are standing at the banks of the Yamsov, Hashem tells Moshe this great miracle that he should do. And the Mechilka de Rabbi Ishmael comments there and says, Zeomer eni yoreid tchila. Each one was standing there at the banks of the river and saying, I'm not going in there first. I'm not going in there first. Zeomer eni yoreid tchila. And the other one says, I'm not going in there first. Ne'amar svavuni bechacha shafrayim. They were going around and around and around. Nobody wanted to do this. Mitol shayunutzlinitza ilu ve'ilu kafat nachshu menaminadav. So when they're busy going back and forth and back and forth, gets up just gets up and he says, enough of this arguing of I'm not going to go. No, I'm not going to go. You can be the first. I'm not going to be the first. And Nachshon gets up and he jumps into the waves. And therefore, Shevet Yehuda, because of this leadership of Nachshon, that Nachshon was re- ready to get up and jump into the waves of the Yamsuf because he believed so clearly that Hashem was going to do as promised. In that merit, Nachshon, Shevet of Shevet Yehuda, merited to kingship. So we have in Halal, which we recited this morning, where it says, that it was Yehuda was sanctified when we left from Eretz Mitzrayim. So this is who Nachshon is. Nachshon is this guy who was willing to jump into the raging waves of the Yamsuf because he believed so clearly that Hashem was going to help them. He was a fearless leader. And for that, he was rewarded with kingship. And his entire Shevet that we know, Lois or Shevet Yehuda, that the kingship will not leave from Shevet Yehuda. And that was what carried us through history all the way until today. We bring, we believe that Mashiach will come from the family of David, from the Shevet of Yehuda. So, this seemingly one small action of Nachshon, of him being willing to take that first step, so greatly affected all of our history. So, we saw in Rashi that Boaz, is a, Boaz and Ami are both descendants of Nachshon ben Aminadab. This family tree is affirmed in the end of the Megillah in Parakdal, where it says, I hate to ruin the end of the story, but in the end of the story, Rut is going to marry Nachshon, sorry, Rut is going to marry Boaz, and they are going to have children, they are going to have Peretz and Zerach, and the Megillah tells us the rest of the family tree.
So Peretz holida Chetzron, the Chetzron holida at Ram, the Ram holida at Aminadav, the Aminadav holida at Nachshon, the Nachshon, we see they're starting to reuse names here, the Aminadav holida at Nachshon, the Nachshon holida at Shlomo, the Shalmon holida at Boaz, oh, sorry, going backwards, the, um, the Boaz, the Boaz holida at Ovid, the Ovid holida, no, I was right, sorry, they're re- reusing all the names, the Shalmon holida at Boaz, the Boaz holida at Sorry, I don't know where my brain is today. <laughs> Peretz is the family. When Yehuda and Tamar, we go way, way back. Yehuda and Tamar, when we have a first story that's going to be sort of similar to the story of Rut and Boaz, we have the story of Yehuda and Tamar, that Shevet Yehuda, as in our original forefather Yehuda. Yehuda had three sons. Two of his sons were married to a woman named Tamar. First one was married and he died. Then the next son married Tamar and he died. There was a third son named Shayla. But Yehuda was hesitant to give Shayla over to Tamar because Tamar seems like she has something wrong with her that everyone who marries her dies. So therefore Yehuda was hesitant and was not going to give his son over to Tamar. But Yehuda was doing the wrong thing because there is the mitzvah of Yibam, that if someone's husband passes away and they did not yet have children, it is incumbent upon the woman to marry the next closest relative so that she can have a child that will carry on the name of the deceased. Yehuda therefore was meant to give Shayla over to Tamar. And because it was clear that he did not intend to, Tamar led a whole ruse and she dressed up and she surprised Yehuda on the road. And Yehuda was with Tamar and Tamar became pregnant. This was her fulfilling the mitzvah of Yibam, taking it into her own hands, although in a strange way. But Tamar really did the right thing. Once Tamar is found to be pregnant, she is taken to court. She is going to be burnt at the stake because they believe that Tamar has left. For, she has this obligation of, Yicha, of, of Yibam, and it seems like she has strayed. But once they are in front of the court, in front of the basin, it becomes clear. She shows these things that Yehuda left with her certain symbols that Yehuda had left with her. And she shows them and Yehuda attests to the fact that it was him who was with Tamar. And Tamar then is allowed to go free. She marries Yehuda and they have twins. One of the twins is Peretz. This starts the entire family tree down to where we see it. We eventually, it goes through Shevet Yehuda. And this is the family tree we are reading. So Peretz holida Chitron. Peretz gave birth to Chitron. Chitron holida Ram. Chetron gave birth to Ram. Ram holinet Aminadav. Aminadav holinet Nachshon. So that's where we got to the Nachshon level. The Nachshon holinet Shlomo. Shlomo is Shalmon, who is the father of Boaz. Shalmon holinet Boaz. Shalmon gave birth to Boaz. But Boaz holinet Ovid. So when Boaz marries Rut, they also have two children. Um, one of them is Ovid. The Ovid holinet Yishai. Ovid gives birth to Yishai. The Yishai holinet David. And Yishai gives birth to David, and that starts the Davidic dynasty. And from there on, we know it will, Mir Tashem, be a line down to Malach HaMashiach. So this whole family tree that we have, the fact that Nachshon is the grandfather of Boaz, is confirmed in the text of the Megillah. So Nachshon, if we go back, we say that these traits follow down through generations. So we believe that family traits carry down. So what is the significance of the fact that Nachshon 
was the grandfather of Boaz. Do we see these traits? It's clear that Nachshon was a go-getter. It really takes a strong person to be standing at the banks of the Yamsuf and jump into the rushing waters because you believe Hashem is going to help you. That even though you might say, okay, God himself told you, when you're looking at this raging ocean and no one wants to be the first person, it still takes a specific personality to be able to take that first step, to be able to jump right in. So do we see this characteristic carried down? So if we look in Rook, look in Rook, if we look in Rook Parakbet, we are going to see how this plays out with Boaz. So who is this guy? Boaz. Boaz comes down to this field and he greets all of, this, all of his workers. He says, Hashem, they respond to him. And Boaz says to his children, Sorry, Boaz says to the Linaro, to those who are working from Hanitav Alakutrim, He gets to the field and he says to his workers, he spots Rut and he says, Who is this woman? And the person responds to him and says, They say, This is the Moabi woman who returned with Naami from the fields of Moab. So he goes to speak to her and she says, please let me gather here. I have come here. She says, please gather, let me gather here. Let me gather the, the fallen sheaves. This is what the workers are saying that she approached them in the morning. And she said, please let me gather here. And she has been here since first thing in the morning. Um, and she hasn't stopped. Like she's really been here all day. They must really have nothing because she has been working so hard. So Boaz goes over to Naomi. So Boaz goes over to Rut and he says to her, please don't go gather in any other fields. Please only come to my field. I will make sure that you are taken care of. So he says, please only focus on our field. Please come here while we are while we are harvesting. And he said, I have told my men that they shouldn't bother you. They should let you be. And when you are thirsty, please come over to where all of the na'arim, all of the workers are sitting. Please take what you need to drink. Take whatever you need to eat. So Boaz recognizes, ah, oh, this is family, mishpacha, I have to take care of her. So he goes over to her and says, don't worry, you are taken care of. You come here, you only come to my field, and you will gather here. So what traits do we see from Boaz just from this small interaction? I think we can learn a lot about the type of person that Boaz is. Boaz comes to the field, first and foremost. Boaz is a very important man. I am sure that he has many other things to do. And there's so much we can go into who Boaz was. He was one of the leaders. He was definitely an important person. Boaz probably has better things to do than go down to the field and check on the details of the harvest. But yet, Boaz is first and foremost able to go to the Na'arim. He goes down to the field. He is a direct leader. He is not someone who is high in the sky. Rather, he believes in going down to the field itself. He is going to be up there and personal with everything that is going on in his land. He is not just going to let it run, run wild. He is going to be there. Next, he is super observant. Then he comes into the field and he right away notices Rut. And he notices someone that is different. 
he notices someone who could be an outsider and he goes to make sure the situation is taken care of. He inquires as to who she is. And by the time, within one sentence, by the time he goes over to Rut, he has already spoken to the Na'arim. He has told them to leave her alone. He has come up with an entire plan so that he doesn't just go up to this woman who is probably uncomfortable to begin with. So he doesn't go up to her and just say like, oh, are you here to gather? Let me check with my men. Is there anything extra? Rather, he comes up with a fully formulated plan, makes sure it can be implemented, goes over to Rut and tells her the plan so that he is able to go over to her with authority, that he is going to able to reassure her firmly that she is going to be taken care of. And I think the last thing that we can notice is that this is a man who really goes with Hashem. That this is a man that the first thing, the Torah doesn't need to tell us that he says good morning to his workers and that they respond good morning. But rather, the first thing when he arrives in his field, it says, Hashem, and they respond, Hashem imachem. This, show, this is not just to tell us that he goes into his field and he's polite to his workers, which is nice in and of itself, but it shows us that he is really a man of Hashem, that he is someone who is God-fearing, he is someone who is going to want to act in the way that Hashem wants, which this is very similar to Nachshon. The Nachshon did not just jump up and say, I know what needs to get done, and jump right into the water. Rather, Nachshon had heard the reassurance, he knew that Hashem was going to save them, and therefore, fueled by his Yerashamayim, fueled by his emuna and belief that Hashem was going to help, he got up and he did exactly what needed to get done. He observed the situation. He recognized that everyone was just bickering and nothing was going to happen here. If someone didn't jump in, nothing was going to get done. So he recognized what needed to get done. And without pause, he jumped up and did it because he believed that this was Ratzon Hashem. So for our first real interaction with Boaz, we see that this is the situation as well. So now we are going to have an interesting situation, which is, as we discussed before the mitzvah of Yibam, which applied with Yehuda and Tamar, we have a situation, situation of Yibam here as well with Rut. What happens? Rut was married to, I, I forget, Mahlon or Kelion, and her husband passed away, and they had no children. So therefore, incumbent upon Rut is the mitzvah of Yibam, the mitzvah to marry the closest male relative in order to have a child that can be attributed to the neshama of the one who has passed away. If you are unable or unwilling to perform Yibam, that this is actually what we do today because we don't think it would make a lot of sense to require past sister-in-laws and brother-in-laws to marry each other. That would be very strange. So instead, today, we perform what is called chalitza which is a ceremony that will break off this obligation for Yibo. That it's a very fascinating, um, a very fascinating ceremony that involves sandals and spitting and a whole to do with these with shoes and casting off the obligation. But either you have to perform Yibam, you have to marry the closest possible relative, or you have to perform Chalitza, which breaks off this obligation, and then you are free to marry anybody else. So Rut has this obligation incumbent upon her that Originally, it applies with the brother of the person who has passed away, but the brother of the one she was married to has also passed away. So you have to look for a next closest relative. But this sort of hasn't been the first thing on their mind because they arrived back in Israel and they were starving. So first they took care of the food. But once the food is taken care of, and Rook goes back to Naomi, her mother-in-law, and she says to Naomi, I found this such a nice man. He's the owner of the field. His name is Boaz. He told me to always come here. He'll take care of me. The men won't bother me. And Naomi says, wait, wait, wait. And it's very interesting because if we were studying Naomi today, 
we would recognize that Nami is usually a pretty passive character. Up until this point, we don't really see her doing very much on her own. But once it comes to this discussion, like any Jewish mother, this discussion of Shadduchim, that she has now met this nice man in the field, boy, does Naomi jump into action. And Naomi says to Ruth, she says, okay, Boaz is our close relative. That means you can marry him to fulfill the obligation of Yibam. So she says, Ruth, what I want you to do is I want you tonight to take a shower, make yourself look good, go down to the threshing floor. They're going to be gathering. Wait until everyone there eats and drinks and lays down to sleep. Then I want you to find where Boaz is sleeping. And I want you to go and I want you to uncover his feet. And I want you to lay down by his feet. He will wake up because that is a strange thing that is happening. And he will wake up and he will tell you what you need to do. So he is going to recognize the situation. He is going to realize what is happening and he is going to tell you what to do. So that is where we are at in Parakimel when we have this conversation between, between Bo, Boaz and Ruth. He says, you are blessed, Hashem So he says, blessed are you that you have not turned to a younger man, rich or poor, that you have not just gone and married whoever you want, that you are respectful of the fact that you have this obligation. Boa says, everyone knows that you are an amazing woman. Don't worry, I will take care of you. He says, I would love to help. I would love to be the one to help you with this obligation. However, there is a Goel, there is someone who is closer than me. And who did we say that is? We said that this was the fourth of the brothers. Then again, Naomi's father, Elimelech, Boaz's father, and the Goel, were, or otherwise called Ploni Almoni, they were all brothers. So he says the Go, this Ploni Almoni is the closer Goel. He is the one who is really a closer relative. He should be the first one to marry him. Lini Halila, you could stay here tonight. So Boaz says, stay here the night, rest, relax. In the morning, we'll go find the Goel. If he is willing to marry you, great. If not, Goel Anochi. If not, I will redeem you. I will make sure that you do not remain in this limbo position. I will remarry you so that you will be able to continue on your husband's family. And Naomi says to Ruth, Shevi biti ala shertad in ich yipul davar ki lo yikshu ta'ish im kla hadavar hayom. When Ruth comes home and tells Naomi what happened, tells the entire scenario that happened on the threshing floor, Naomi says, "Okay, no need to worry. You are in the hands of Boaz, and Boaz will make sure that you are taken care of." That it seems to be that Boaz had this reputation. That when he saw Ruth and he saw this woman in need, not only the first time when she was out collecting in the field. But the second time when he came to her in this very personal situation, he was able to say to her, I know exactly what we need to do. I will take care of you. And a lot of times people say, oh, don't worry, I'll help you. I'll get you this. I'll do you that. But people have a lot going on and they forget. But Naomi said, oh, if you are in the hands of Boaz, Boaz will make sure it is taken care of. That because he is the one in this situation, we know that this situation will, will be will be fixed, that it will be taken care of because Boaz is in charge. So if Boaz knew about this situation though, the one question we have to ask is, why didn't Boaz first approach Ruth and try to rectify the situation? 
They knew what happened. It had to have been the talk of the town. That Eli Melech, this important man, leaves town at the beginning of a famine, exactly when everyone needs him, gets up and leaves to stay Moab with two children. And everyone must have known, oh, the children of of Boa, of um, Eli Melech, they intermarried. What a big to-do it must have been. So now they come back. Boaz knew of the situation. If he's such a go-getter, why didn't he go up to right from the beginning and say, we need to get you a goel. We need to get you taken care of. If no one can redeem you, I will redeem you. Why did he wait until she came to him in that moment? So Yehuda Maihi Detanya, Rabbi Meir Omer, it says in Masachat Tzota, Kesha'amdu Yisrael al-Hayam, hayu shvatim menatschim ze'im ze'f, Omer a'ini yoretzchila la'yam, v'zeh Omer a'ini yoretzchila la'yam. So it is recounting the Mechilta de Rabbi Ishmael that we discussed about standing on the banks of the river. But here in Masech it says that the Shevet of Binyamin first went and jumped into the water. So they're arguing about what happened. So Rabbi Meir says, no, really, first Shiva Binyamin jumped into the water. But now Rabbi Yehuda says, no, you've got it wrong. So rather, no, from Shiva Yehuda was really the one who jumped into the water. So he says, really, it was Nachshon who jumped in first. So what do we learn from this debate? That Nachshon wasn't the only one who was willing to act. Rather, he was the only one willing to act first. And he was willing to risk being ridiculed if he failed. That Sheva Binyamin was only willing to do it with support. That it says Yehuda was supporting Binyamin. And that's why Binyamin jumped in first, according to the opinion of Rabbi Meir. But what Rabbi Yehuda says is that the Sheva Yehuda was willing to jump in first. They were willing, even if they were going to be ridiculed, even if no one was there supporting them, Nachshon and Aminadav was still willing to do it. This was Boaz. He also, he knew exactly what he needed to do. He knew that he was going to have to do, even if it was going to be unpopular. Maybe people were still upset at the family of Ali Melach. People didn't necessarily want to help out his family. Boaz was willing to do what he needed to do, even if it was going to be unpopular. But why didn't Boaz go up to her first? Because he was the leader. That would have been deemed a little bit improper. That, yes, we are willing to do what needs to be done, but it also has to be done in the proper context. That opposed to the Nashon situation, when this was clear, this was Raton Hashem, there was no ulterior motive here. Exactly what you needed to do was to go and jump into that water. However, Boaz here, even though he has that courage of Nachshon, he has the ability to do what he needs to do, he still had to be cognizant of the fact that he wasn't going to go up to this random woman who had come to his field and make that first initiation and say, oh, I'm here to be your goel. That was a little too forward. And it was deemed, as it's discussed a little bit later on in the Midrashim, that that would have not been deemed as appropriate. So Boaz does have this courage. He is willing to do what is unpopular. He is willing to be that go-getter even if it is not going to make him look great, but he still had to do it with a balance of sneas, with a balance of an understanding of societal, societal norms. So the second that Rook came to her, came to him, he was willing to jump right into action. He knew exactly what needed to be done. In Mesilas Yesharim, it tells us 
That if a person rests on his kavod and he is only worried about his kavod, he is never going to be successful. It tells us in Perkei Avos that you should be swift like a kanasher. It compares us to all the animals that you should be quick like a deer, the gibor kari, and you should be strong like a lion. To do the will of Hashem in heaven. So what are things that we need chizak in? What are things that we need affirmation in? So Shlomo tells us in Sefer Mishlei, so in Masilas Yesharim, it tells us, sorry, it's a lot of quoting Pesukim, so we're just going to read it in the English. If he leaves himself in the hand of natural heaven, so if he's allowed to just rest on his kabod, he is never going to be successful. This is what the Mishnah in in um. Perkebos tells us, be brazen as a leopard, light as an eagle, and swift as a deer, and mighty as a lion to do the will of your father in heaven. Likewise, Chazal tell us that they counted amongst things with, which need strengthening, Torah and good deeds. This is explicitly straight, um, stated in the text in Mishlei, be strong, be courageous to observe and do all of the Torah. For great strengthening is needed for those who want to bend his nature to its opposite. Behold, Shlomo repeatedly exhorted many times on in seeing the evil of laziness, and the greatness and harm resulting from it. He said, a little sleep, a little slumber, and folding of the hands to rest. Then shall your poverty come as a traveler. So Shlomo tells us in Mishlei that one who is lazy, one who is constantly sitting down to rest, one who only does very little, is never going to be successful. For behold, even though the lazy person is not doing evil actively, nevertheless, he brings evil on himself through his very inactivity. So Masilas Yasharmik comments, on this idea of how to balance laziness and action, that it says, if you are a little bit lazy, okay, but more than that, if you if you never do, if you don't jump into action, that is when evil comes. It is not that you are actively doing something that is evil, but through your inactivity is allowing evil to happen. So how does this apply back to our situation? We see Boaz, who's our character in this story, who really ends up being the hero. The Goel performs Chalitza with Rus. She, he does not want to marry Rus. And therefore, Boaz ends up being the Goel, and they have children, and we see that that eventually leads to the Davidic dynasty. Then whenever we see that someone is rewarded with, um, with children that are so important, it is a sign that their relationship was a good one. So Boaz is this man of action. He shows us how he takes, even though it says that the Naami branch of the family, the Elimelech branch of the family, lost their Schos Avos when they left Eretz Yisrael, Boaz clearly carries that on. He takes these character traits of Nachshon, that Nachshon not only was willing to take action, but he was willing to be brazen and really do what he needed to do, even if it was unpopular, in order to carry out Ratzon Hashem. He was willing to literally jump in, risking himself for what he knew was right.
And Boaz is the same way. Boaz shows us how you take this strength, this courage, this this passion, this ability to stand up for what you believe in. Boaz, I think, shows us how it plays out in our life. That Boaz didn't do anything seemingly so crazy. He didn't even go over to this woman who it may have been deemed inappropriate. Rather, he waited for things to take a much more natural course of events. But within that structure, within that context, he imparts these um, these character traits of Nachshon. That he goes to the field. He is involved. He is on the ground. He is not someone who is high in the sky. He is not a leader who tries to remain separate from those lowly people who are doing his work. Rather, he is one that goes to the field and he brings Hashem to that field. He walks into that field and he says, Hashem. he greets them with Hashem's name. This already shows us the type of person he is. And then when we see when he enters into a difficult situation, a situation in which he is needed, he immediately jumps into action. That he doesn't just go to Russ and Hammond Hall, rather he goes with a fully formed plan. He takes care of what needs to be taken care of. Everyone feels so confident in his abilities. That when Naomi sees that Boaz is the one they're dealing with, that is when she feels like they're in the proper hands. This is a foil to Elimelech, that Elimelech is our first character that we meet in the Megillah, that Elimelech leaves at the mo- exact moment when he is needed, when B'nai Israel rely on him. It is said that he was a wealthy man. And the reason he was punished so severely was because this, when he was needed, when there was a famine in the land, that's when he meant to abandon, when he abandoned his people. That he gets up from Eretz Israel and he leaves at exactly the moment when he should have stayed when he should have increased his activity with the people, not abandoned them to deal with whatever they needed to deal with on their own. So we see that Elimelech dies out, and it is only apropos that his line is replaced by Boaz, that he was the one that gave up on the traits of his grandfather, sorry, of his father, that he didn't impart these traits. He didn't use them as values in his own life, but rather Boaz, the one who ultimately takes over in the story, the one who literally is the one to carry on his name to replace him. He is the one who is able to show us how to use these values, how to use these traits. So may we be able to foster that in our own lives, to look at situations and see where we can be helpful, not just stand back and support, but really take that leadership role to recognize what needs to get done and to take action, to be passionate about it. And most importantly, to take action when it when we know that it is Ratzon Hashem that we are fulfilling. Thank you everyone for joining today. And please be on the lookout for other upcoming 